<laughs> Our second scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Timothy verse, or chapter 3, verse 14, through chapter 4, verse 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom... I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is the word of God for the people of God. To be perfectly honest, after reading this scripture, I almost feel like I don't need a sermon. I feel as though this is a sermon in and of itself. Because Paul is writing some truly powerful things here. Things that have deep meaning for each of us in our lives and speak to some eternal truths. But before I get too far into that, I want to tell you all about uh, something that I saw growing up. Growing up in Texas, I was always aware of this little town near the center of the state, a town called Waco. Texas. Now, some of y'all may know uh, Waco from some unfortunate events that happened there in the 90s, but for me, for the most part, I always knew Waco is a town that got hit by a tornado back in the 50s and never really recovered. It was sort of run down, kind of a, a sad place that had a pretty neat school. It had Baylor University there, which, uh, f- to give credit to them, I almost went to Baylor. I went to, it was between them and Texas A&M, so while I did choose to go to College Station instead, I did get to spend some time in Waco, getting to know people who lived there and had gone to school there. But really, Waco didn't have a whole lot going for them. They had the Dr. Pepper Museum, which is great if you like Dr. Pepper, Uh, and they had the Texas Rangers Museum, which was also uh, pretty cool as a museum, but only for people who are interested in that kind of thing. And that was about it. Other than that, there were just a bunch of empty, broken storefronts, old houses, and a highway that ran straight through the middle of it where most people never stopped. But a few years ago, an interesting thing happened to Waco. And in the midst of uh, the popularity of home improvement shows, which were already on the upswing, Uh, This couple emerged. Um, Many of you have probably seen their show Fixer Upper, but this, this modest couple with a bunch of kids and a little bit of property out in Waco started finding these old houses and fixing them up. 
These are really old houses, too. These are houses that are generally from the 20s or 30s. And people were fascinated by this show. Something about it stuck more than any other home improvement show that I have seen. It spoke to people in a way that was honestly kind of surprising to me. As someone who loves home improvement shows, this one had something special about it. And at first I thought that it must be the people. It must be Chip and Joanna. There must be something special about them. But the truth is, they're charismatic hosts for all of these shows. They're all funny and charming and interesting. So there must have been something else that was special about this one. And what I've determined is that what really spoke to people about this was not necessarily the hosts, but rather the fact that they were so enthusiastic about taking something that was broken down, something that had been forgotten and neglected, and not only restoring it back to what it had been before, but in fact lifting it up to what they saw it could be. With their simple style and their personal charms and their little team of workers, they started taking Waco's houses one at a time and doing something amazing. And at first it caught on with people like me and other college students around the area and people who were uh, just staying at home and needing something to watch on HGTV, but over time this grew to be a real phenomenon. They opened a piece of property in the middle of Waco in a really run-down, especially run-down part of town. And now, if you go there on any day, not just the weekend, you'll find lines that wrap all the way around the property for people wanting to get into a bakery or a gift store. You can go walk around Alabama even and see people wearing their shirts that say Magnolia Seed Supply. This is something that has moved beyond just Texas. It's moved beyond just this small town of Waco and has captured the imagination of everybody. And it's all because they have been using broken things to make something new and beautiful. But beyond that, it's not just the houses that have been changed. In 2018, Waco was one of the most popular tourist attractions in the country. Their tourist revenue grew by more than six times over the past three years. They weren't just breathing new, lives, new life into these old, neglected houses. This was something that washed over their entire community, bled out beyond what they were working on, and encouraged others to do the same. Friends, the popularity of this show should tell us one thing more than anything else. That's that people are fascinated and captivated by the idea of renewal. By the idea that there's something beautiful hidden underneath years of neglect. Something that's been forgotten but which is there if we're just willing to put in some work or look a little bit harder. People find something beautiful in seeing someone bring new life to something that's been broken down. This is what the gospel promises us through Jesus Christ, that we can be delivered from the brokenness and emptiness that we've known, from the days of darkness that we've gone through, 
but not just to something normal. It promises us that Christ will lift us up into new and full and abundant life, life beyond what we could have ever imagined before. But you know, houses aren't flipped just because someone decides that they're going to pay attention to them, just because someone decides not to neglect them. They're fixed by intentional work. And they're not maintained just because somebody once decides to fix it up. But rather, houses are fixed through intentional work, through deep commitment, and through a willingness to focus on areas that need attention. And they're maintained through the habits and the routines that not only keep them up, but hopefully help them to age well over time, to become more personal, to become more loved, and to become a home. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the gift of renewal that we have through Jesus Christ. The promise that he has made to us that we worship a God who's making all things, you and me included, new. Who can take an old and broken or stagnant life and elevate it into something beautiful and perfect. What we need to remember about this, though, is that much like a house isn't fixed just by paying attention to it, the habits that we form are the things that shape who we are and who we become. You are made by the things that you repeatedly do. Habits are good and important because the things that we practice, the things that we do when we can focus our, inten- uh, our attention and be intentional with our time are the things where when we don't have time to focus, we default to. What better place to start in looking at these habits than with Scripture? Scripture is a powerful thing. And as we spend more time studying the Word of God and searching the Scriptures that we have as a gift, we find that they reveal to us who God is. They reveal the character of God as we read about the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. We're seeing who God is. It reveals what God has done as we read not just about Jesus, but about all of God's work throughout the Old Testament and the New, through the ways that God walked with the people of Israel, protected them in times of trial, corrected them when they went off course, and guided them towards the fulfillment that came in Jesus Christ. And maybe, most importantly, they reveal something deeper than just these stories because they reveal to us how God works. Because God, who's unchanging, God who's the same now as always before and always to come, works in the same ways. So as we study what God has done, we can begin to see what God is doing within us and all around us. See, Scripture is not made up of just stories. And though Jesus spoke in parables often, they're not just illustrations and they're not just metaphors. But they're also not just history. 
God's word is so much more than any of those things. As we saw in Isaiah this morning, that promise still holds true that God's words are never empty, but rather that the word of God is a powerful thing, powerful enough, in fact, to change our lives and to change the world. And when we spend our time when we make a time in our busy schedules, in our busy days, to focus intentionally on studying Scripture, when we make time to do Bible study, what we're doing is we're posturing ourselves to fix our eyes on God. As I said, the things that we do repeatedly form who we become if we're people who make a habit out of looking to Scripture and looking to God every day of our lives, then when the time comes that we can't think about what's happening, that we can't think about what we're going to do, and we just fall back to our default, we'll fall back to looking towards God. The thing about Scripture is that it's not just applicable at certain times. It, it's not an artifact that lost its meaning long ago. And within our own lives, it's not just something that's useful when we're young or when we're old. But rather, Scripture is useful at every point and at every season and stage of life. Enjoy. Psalm 47 tells us to shout words of praise to God. In sorrow, Revelation 21 tells us that God will wipe away every tear and heal every pain. In our insecurity, when we feel like we're not enough, we have Philippians 4 that tells us that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. But in those moments when our strength does fail, we have 2 Corinthians 12 which tells us that even in our weakness, even in those shortcomings, God is at work. It says that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Scripture has power at every stage and in every season of our lives. But it's not just about responding. It's not just something that, that responds to how we're feeling at the time. Rather, Scripture calls us to action. It calls us to repentance, to faith, and to holiness. As we spend our time searching the scriptures, searching God's word, we find that we allow them to guide our lives. If you can make time in the morning or in the evening or during your lunch hour even to study the Bible, even for just a few moments, then what you'll find is that the messages, the eternal truths that are contained within it, start to shed new light on areas of your life. Ways that you can come to be closer with God, that you can walk by faith and be led by the Spirit. But perfection isn't just about piety, and neither is Scripture. It's not just about what we do in our private lives. Rather, Scripture is also a gift that equips us to serve the kingdom of God. 
You see this in chapter 3 of our scripture, verses 14 through 17, when it says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's so much that we could unpack here, but I want to focus on two things in particular. First, Paul says that our faith isn't formed in isolation, but our faith is formed in community. Right from the beginning, He says that we've learned and become convinced of our faith because we know the people from whom we learned it. A holy community of believers is one that builds you up and draws you closer to to God as you go, that walks alongside you, that guides you and gives you somewhere to fall back on in this walk of faith. But community isn't enough either, because it tells us that Scripture is useful, but it's more than just useful. Scripture is the primary tool that a faith community has, perhaps the only real tool for developing believers in their faith. A community that's built on Scripture is one that's that has itself centered around God's truth. A community that's built on Scripture is one where every member is in the habit of praying and searching God's Word so that they might see where God is at work. And when you're surrounded by people whose faith keeps their eyes turned back towards heaven, then you begin to learn how to keep your eyes fixed on God as well. And Paul continues on, beyond just your formation. He says that our community is good and useful to have Scripture as a tool to form us into believers, into people of faith, but then he gives us a commandment. He says in chapter 4, to go and preach the word, to share the good news of the gospel. Evangelism means sharing the good news, to go to the people around you and tell them what Christ has done in your life, to tell them how Christ has changed the world and how he can change theirs as well. He tells us to correct and rebuke and encourage one another, not only to help steer each other in the right direction, to keep us close to Scripture so that we remain close to God, but then to encourage people as they're corrected. We're not just called to point out what other people are doing wrong, but rather to raise one another up in perfection and holiness as we go. He tells us that through this correction, through this work of a community, we can find ourselves standing firm in the face of false teachings and trends and doctrines. That scripture, which has all things necessary for salvation, 
can show us when people are bringing in things of the world and promising us that we can find salvation there instead. But a community built on Scripture can point us back towards Jesus Christ, who alone is our way to salvation. And finally, he tells us, go and do the work of evangelism and ministry. Go and share the good news. Go and be an evangelist to the world around you. Tell them what God has done and show them through your ministry and through your life what God is doing. And between our private devotions and our public ministries, we recenter our lives around the gospel, which is at the center of Scripture. So friends, keep your heads about you at all times, through all trials, and do the work. Do the work of an evangelist and of a minister. See the people around you who need to hear the message that Christ is making all things, them included, new. Share the good news that all are welcome to come to the church and find Christ. And that through him, all are able to find this renewal. Because friends, renewal and new beginnings are not just for home improvement shows. Brother, they're for you and they're for me. And they're for every single person that we meet because all people stand in need of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So go and do the work. Thanks be to God.